Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I really had a tough time hearing good news, comforting news in our texts for today. Having heard our scripture readings, there may be some of you that may be saying, I'm out of here if this is what's being demanded of me. It would be very easy for me to step into the pulpit this morning and stand here and tell you, just go, do better in your lives, be more obedient. And that's exactly how this text often gets preached. For the last few weeks, Jesus' teachings have been just pounding on us about our roles in the world our place in culture, those things that try to define our identities, those things that we hold on to very tightly, and finally those things that end up challenging our relationship with God. These things can be like what we do in our work and the things that we have and especially the things that we love, the people in our lives. But have you ever wondered why God even grants us such abundant blessings, knowing that they are likely going to be the very things that will challenge your relationship with him. When we try to weave together today's understanding in our texts, we can really be challenged in our zealousness as we think that we are disciples of Christ by our own choosing or our own doing. Our lessons for today take on themes of death and life, obedience and rebellion, freedom and slavery. But the description often ascribed to these series of texts is usually the cost of discipleship. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, then I have nothing to worry about because surely I am a disciple of Christ in my life, well, prepare for a bumpy ride. In our text from Deuteronomy for today, what we are witness to is Moses' final salutation to the Israelite people before they enter into the promised land. God's people had left Egypt 40 years prior to this day, and they had endured much to get to this point. And they now stand at the precipice of Mount Nebo, and they look on the promised land, and much more they were about to actualize a promise that had been given to them and defined them as a people for generations. But wisdom gained by Moses in leading these people through the desert propels him to set down this understanding. He tells them, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. Now, at face value, if you are thinking, well, if I had a choice between those things, surely between life and death, I would choose life, right? We would all choose life. But then he defines what choosing life looks like. Words like obedience, observing commandments, decrees, and ordinances. All really fun ways of living your life, right? Moses knows full well that when the Israelite people enter into this bountiful land, they are going to be tempted. And they are going to change in their way of how they have trusted God. 
Because the land they are going into is a land of abundance. We're told it is a land flowing with milk and honey and all of those good things that they have dreamed of for generations. And things will change. I was thinking a little bit of people that win a lottery. And their life takes a dramatic turn because of the opportunities of abundance. And at the onset, we often hear very saintly intentions, right? That they're going to pay off debt and they're going to help others less fortunate than themselves. And some do this, but some quit their jobs and they go on extravagant vacations and they buy extravagant things. But at the core, of course, they say we're never going to change who we are. Now, I have ever, never heard of a lottery winner being transformed into Mother Teresa. And in fact, more often than not, what we hear is that the increase of financial opportunity often leads to disaster. Greed, divorces, broken relationships, very often absolute and total financial ruin, ending up even in worse circumstances than before they had won the money. So Moses admonishes that the Israelite people really telling them what is going to happen when they go into the land. They will fall away from obedience. They will take up idols and they will worship other gods and there will be death and adversity. The Israelite people and more importantly, we as sinful people almost always choose a path of death that we think is life. This becomes our reality when we consider all the things that we love. The things you love are so because of the benefit that they give to you. And if you are honest, now I mean very honest, and think about this, the things you love are not life-giving to you. They will demand of your life. Your work your family, your friends, the things you like to do, including the stuff that you have, all of these will utterly demand of you. And these are the very things that God gives you as blessing, but they are also the very things that will challenge your relationship with him. So in our gospel text for today, Jesus is also still dealing with perceptions. Last week in the parable of the great dinner, we heard Pastor Catherine talk about where he challenges our self-perceptions to see ourselves in the world and where we see ourselves in the world, and especially at the proverbial banquet table, whether we see ourselves in the place of honor or in the place of humility. But today he goes a step further and he challenges our perceptions of what it takes to follow him. In this text, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to die on the cross. And the crowds have started to follow him out of the enthusiasm of what they have seen and heard from him. The healings, the miracles, the casting out of demons. And everyone loves a parade, right? But they're oblivious to the fact of what lies ahead and what actually they are on is a death march. And this is really still the case for us today. 
So for those that follow Christ, Christ does what Christ does, and he turns our understanding on its proverbial head. He says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, and yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. What? This is not the Jesus Christ that we learn about in story Bibles or in Sunday school lessons. What is he talking about? And by the way, what about that whole Ten Commandment thing? Honoring father and mother and loving one another and seeing each other in the best possible light. But if you have heard this lesson today, again, as something you need to do to be a disciple of Christ, my first question is, how is that whole choice of life and death thing working out for you? Because it would seem that Jesus is speaking directly against everything that we are encouraged to do in a life of faith. We are called through our lives of faith to love one another, to care for one another, to nourish others, to live our lives of work in service to others, especially for our families. But Jesus' admonishment to hate others, especially the important people of your lives, is not about an emotion of loathing them. Hating your own life is not seeing yourself as worthless. A better understanding of what Christ is speaking to here is to know that a life of faith and a life of discipleship, he will challenge where your loyalties lie. That to be claimed by God in the gospel of Jesus Christ sets a whole different precedence of what your life looks like and how you live it. And when this happens, it will cause some detaching, some turning away from people and things in your life. And if you believe that you would and can, by your own doing, choose to do these things through your own actions, I'm here to tell you you won't. Ultimately, you won't. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot be like him. You cannot be as obedient as Christ is to the Father. You cannot nail yourself to your own cross and be your own Savior, even though many try. We do try to take on death in our lives, making decisions to try to prolong our lives, accepting horrific medical treatments like chemo and radiation in order to have more time, to beat death. But the truth is that we will all die. But Christ Jesus chooses life for you. Not because of the people in your life, not because of who you are in the world, and not because of the things you have. Because all of those really mean nothing when it comes to salvation. Because ultimately as a sinner, while you will choose a path of death and adversity through life, Jesus Christ will raise you from that death to new life. Because he chooses life for you. Now, this text certainly challenges our desires and maybe even our wants to follow Jesus Christ. 
Because ultimately, we can never be obedient to God to the point where we are without sin. And along with it, the penalty of death. But this is not where Jesus Christ leaves you. Our lectionary writers have actually done us a great gospel disservice today. They didn't let us read to the end of the chapter. So I'm going to read that last verse of the chapter to you now. Those that have ears to hear, listen. What Jesus is telling us is like what Moses was speaking to the Israelites. He is telling you what is going to happen. Jesus Christ knows that you will not choose to hate those things you love in your life, especially the people in your life. So he takes that burden on for you. Our text for today tells you what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in your presence. Because when you came to the waters of baptism, he made you a promise that he would do these things for you. He would take this burden on for you. And you came to those waters with virtually nothing. It does not matter your status in the world, who your parents are, what you have or what you do, because at the font, none of that matters. What matters is Christ's promise to you. Sure, your parents might have held you at the font, but what matters most is the promise. Because also in your baptism, he tells you that he has taken on your cross for you, and he has died on it. And he has died for all of those things that want to separate you from God or that do separate you from God. And that you do not have to live a perfect life because the truth is you cannot. But he has. And it is his obedience to the Father that he now gives you in that promise. And then he does something truly remarkable. He marks you with the cross. He seals you by the Holy Spirit so that you are claimed forever by it. It cannot be taken from you. It can't be wiped away. And the cross you now bear is the cross of Christ who lives in you. He has fulfilled your penalty of sin and then turns to you and says, you're forgiven. Jesus has chosen you and he has chosen life for you. And while at times in your life you may experience times of prosperity and you may experience times of adversity, those times matter for only a moment because Christ Jesus' promise endures for eternity. Thanks be to God. Amen.